So, when was your last checkup? Oh no, not you. Although that's important too, but when was your last vehicle checkup? When it comes to service, nobody knows your Chevy better than your local Chevy dealer. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com to schedule an appointment today. Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnson. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I met at our first radio jobs and have been friends ever since. And we had fun in our 20s as wing women for each other. And in our 30s, we got married. Then we had babies within weeks of each other. Eventually landing the hardest job we've ever had, parenthood. Our kids are 12 and 10, but we'll talk about everything from babyhood to menopause. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and bring some knowledge to other average parents. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Yeah, we're average, not experts. So we'll talk about the topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I'm sure to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after the first season, I'm pretty sure we already have. <laughs> so welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Apparently, parents really need to grasp the idea of play and the importance of play. Okay. So I was reading a paper in the journal Pediatrics, it's a pediatric journal, uh, summarizes the evidence for letting kids let loose to play they say play is not frivolous it is brain building and here's a here's a kicker the authors of this paper go on to ask pediatricians to actually prescribe play like write a script for their patients to play okay i find this really sad that in this day and age that we actually have to have our doctors tell us to play yeah that is pretty pathetic at the risk of sounding like my mom and dad, it's probably already too late, but growing up today looks a whole lot different than it did when you and I were kids in the 70s or 80s. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, totally. Um, didn't you once tell us in one of the podcasts that we were talking about um, the, a bell or something? Yeah, so I grew up in a pretty rural area, and we had a big bell that my parents would ring when they wanted us to come home. Our neighbors had a conch shell, so they'd be like, Whoa! <laughs> You know, and that we then we knew that the Smith boys had to go. Yeah, yeah. So we all had different sounding bells that would summon us home. But we would be, you know, five acres away, and you could hear that bell outside playing. Yeah, and no structure whatsoever. Right. Gosh, we we had it pretty good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The same for my sisters and I. Like it was it was when the street lights came on. We would have to come home like in the summer, which could end up being pretty late because it's dark out for a while. Um, So and we were outside playing organically on the block with kids outside. Like, I don't remember. I don't have a lot of memories of sitting inside on the couch like what happens nowadays. (laughs) Well, there's nothing to watch. Right. Because I didn't want to be the one to have to go and walk the 15 feet to the TV and turn the channel to 2, 5, or 7. Exactly right. Yes. <laughs> okay, now we really sound like our parents. Yes, we do. Well, I agree with this report 100%. And it's been something that my husband and I have talked about a whole whole bunch. And I'll even take it a step further and say I know one place where we're completely getting it wrong. Okay. And not only just in our own households, but in school. Okay, I- so no play in school? I, I mean, I read somewhere that 30% of kindergartens offer no recess. No recess? No recess for a five-year-old. Oh, my gosh. I mean, my that's absurd. My kids would go bonkers. <laughs> like, sitting to regulate yourself at five? Yeah. Like, it's already an adjustment to say goodbye to your mom and dad at right. the door. 
in right. the morning, there was a lot of tears in kindergarten. Yep. To to take the play out of it too in kindergarten seems sad because I what did you do in kindergarten? I that was such a long time ago. Um, <laughs> I remember like so I had a, a great teacher. Her name was Mrs. Desinus, and I remember I would write my name very 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 small, and she would circle it and say, "Could you write it?" Smaller, please. Smaller? Yes. She would indulge me and, and sort of let me be creative and, you know. Um, Interesting. And I remember rug time. Do you remember yeah, rug time? Oh, yeah. We- Singing songs. Yeah. Building blocks, playing in a kitchen. Like, I remember, like, it was play. It was, it was like, now I feel like kindergarten is the new first grade. Yeah, because they're learning how to read. Yeah. Well, sometimes people, like, expect you to be reading by kindergarten or by the end of kindergarten you're reading. Yeah. So, I mean, that all comes at a cost, obviously. So um, our kids are a bit older. And so I have to say, I kind of, with a 10 and a 12-year-old, I miss play. Do you miss it? Like, do you have play? You know, there's not a lot of play. And, you know, the gadgets get in the way. Um, My kids have so many activities. They're consumed by their their hobbies um, remember make dress up i mean our our girls played dress up we they would like dress up and make believe play restaurant i remember them doing like because we had that play kitchen yeah we still have it actually they don't want to get rid of it <laughs> oh that's um, nice yeah it's in the basement but um we they would make up a menu and do all that and it just died it just all that has died well hannah still does skits so she will put together a whole elaborate skit and make us watch. I got to say, I don't always like that. <laughs> Why? I got, it, it just, they're long. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> but so yeah. she needs to be managed. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little okay. bit. Get the hook. But, but she's, used, she's being creative and she's free, free flowing, free play. Yes. So that still happens. Well, I like Doug and I always talk about like what play looks like in other houses because we, you know, you have a tendency to compare with what happens in other houses. And it's it's in the new year, I have to say this this is an initiative that I feel strongly about because I was prepping for this this podcast and thinking about play. In fact, last night I said no screens. They they didn't they didn't really like that so much, but we played euchre. Oh, you did? Yeah. My dad slept over last night, and we we played euchre, and we played cards, and we worked on a Rubik's Cube. Like, we, we were just hanging out at the kitchen table, and it was fantastic. We do games like the Game of Life. We do that li- occasionally. Yeah, Life? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my kids yeah. love that game. Yeah, I love that game. Um, over break, we did Mexican Train. Have you? It's a it's a dominoes game. It's really fun. I, I'm not good at it, but it's very – it's fun. So I think we have done some of that, but it's just – it's hard to regulate. It's hit or miss in my yeah. house. Yeah. It, like like all initiatives, I've said this a million times before, like I have these lofty goals. Like, yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> we're going to talk about failure at the dinner table and all this stuff. And we do it for like a week and then and then it, it dies. Yeah. It goes away. Yes. But I, I think that something is missing now nowadays with like when we were out playing in the yard or gone, we fought. We we made up. We argued about like who was going to be the captain or which game to play first, um, and there's none of that anymore. It's like they argue over Fortnite over the internet. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's worse. I think. Well, at least I think it's bad here in the city because um, my kids don't have they don't go to a neighborhood school, so I have to drive them if they want to hang out with their classmates. Yeah. So there's no 
unorganized play. I live in a block full of houses, and and it it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> Not so much. No, I I I think it's technology is really like the bane of all existence. <laughs> I've even trying to be mindful in the new year to just put my phone down and I'm um, because obviously I have to model the behavior that I'm looking for. So granted, it was just the beginning of January, but I'm already trying to be mindful of it. Okay, so that's why we played cards last night. Well done. So because I read this, um, this paper and the report about uh, doctors being prescribing play to their patients. I thought we would bring in one of the authors of the research published in the pediatric journal. Dr. Roberta Golenkoff is a professor of education, psychological and brain sciences, and linguistics and cognitive science at the University of Delaware. Whew, that's a mouthful. Yeah. And she's also a New York Times bestselling author of Becoming Brilliant, What Science Tells Us About Raising Successful Children. And I have it right here. Also, they- can we point out that uh, your husband saw it on the counter and said, it's too late. Yeah. Good morning, doctor. <laughs> Hi. Good morning. Hi. Thank you so much for joining. you making me laugh. <laughs> yeah. He, he saw the book and he shook his head and was like, yeah, it's too late, Trace. <laughs> So what? never too late, never too late. Yay, that's what I want to hear. So do you, do you think society today is less friendly to play, and that's why you're suggesting to pediatricians to write a script? Yeah, um, I was talking recently to a former student who came back with her own child to my lab at the University of Delaware, and she is a speech-language pathologist, and she goes into homes to deliver therapy to kids. And she said... It's like so sad. Um, it's often the case that when she comes in, the television is on, the mother's on the phone, and the kid is on some electronic device. So this is not what we had even as much as 20 years ago because the tablet was born in 2010, if you can believe it, and the iPhone in 2007, and they seem to have taken over our lives. So kids are engaging less in the kinds of spontaneous play that you guys described, and certainly that I did. I was very much relating to what you were talking about. I lived in Brooklyn on a block with a lot of kids, and I was out there the whole day unsupervised playing with my friends, and it was a really important time. You know, it's funny, Dr. Gullenkoff, my youngest, who's now 10, when she was about one, um, she picked up a kid's book and she tried to swipe. Oh, I've she seen that. She did not know how to turn a page. She tried to swipe yeah. on the page. And I was like, oh uh-huh. my gosh, it's, like, it's totally yeah. backwards. Do you think yeah, I have heard these stories too. <laughs> do you think yeah. that do you think that it's coming around like people are starting to pay attention because I I I've always said on this podcast that I'm a huge proponent of education and I read a lot of geeky education blogs and so on and Good I feel I feel like maybe the tide is turning a little bit. So I'm I'm glad that you said that and I'm glad that you feel that way. Um I think people who talk in the popular press about the importance of play, maybe you're getting a bit more of a hearing. But, you know, some of it comes down to what we think play is. And in 2008, now I know that sounds like ancient history, but it's probably still true, we did a survey 
with parents about what was considered play. And we also had experts. Now, the experts thought play was all the kind of stuff that you were talking about, voluntary, creative, spontaneous, unsupervised. And parents thought structured activities were playful. So that leads me to believe that parents think using tablets is a kind of play. And, you know, you can say it's electronic play. Okay. And I'm not a Luddite. I'm not saying throw out your tablets. I'm not saying that at all. But, you know, kids learn different things when they're interacting with other kids and you and with real objects than they certainly learn on electronics. And I think... Some one of you said you're trying to turn off your phone because you want to set a good example. Boy, is that great! Because if kids see us on our devices all the time, and then we try to tell them, well, you can only have the tablet for an hour a day, or you can only have total screen time of an hour a day, um, they may get wise to us and say. <laughs> You mean you can have that phone on 24-7? You know, so I think you're absolutely right that we have to set a good example. And we also know too much now. For example, we know that word learning in little guys is disrupted when a parent takes a cell phone call. We, we have those data. We actually did that study where we told moms we were going to interrupt them with a cell phone call to see how it was going while they were teaching their child a new word. These are two-and-a-half-year-olds. And the kids who were in the condition where the call came while the mom was teaching them the new word didn't learn the word and didn't even learn the next word. It's as if the kids said, you know, we were having a good time. We had a nice thing going. And you broke it up by taking that phone call. Hmm. So we know that having the phone on when you're interacting with your kid is not a great thing. So your research paper um, had a, b- a bunch of good information. One thing that you said was that play is essential for healthy brain development. You know, how, right. does, how does play affect the brain's development? So think of the kind of things that kids do when they play. First, they're exploring objects, and they're exploring object combinations and things they can do. They're using their imaginations. They're doing make-believe. And if they're playing with another child, they're using language. They're learning how to argue in a nice way. You know how when kids play make-believe, they have to divide up the roles, who's going to be the daddy, who's going to be the mommy, who's going to be the kid. And they're learning to negotiate. When they play with blocks, they're learning a baby version of physics. They're learning about spatial skills that will be necessary for them to succeed in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. They're learning when they reproduce difficult experiences with their dolls or stuffed animals. It's helping them to assimilate what has occurred, to kind of relive it and process it. There are so many benefits for kids' play. I could just go on and on and bore you all. (laughs) Not at all. But 
<laughs> well, that that leads but, to my next yeah. question when you mentioned about the dolls. So one of the other things that you um, reported was that play, based on research, play helps children manage stress and even recover from trauma. So it sounds like through like playing with dolls and stuff, is that what you're mentioning? Like if sure. something happened? And you know, there's a whole branch of therapy called play therapy where a child psychologist or psychiatrist watches how the kid engages with objects, perhaps in a make-believe dollhouse kind of thing. And, you know, living through that stuff and um, going through it, children don't have the same kinds of resources that we have to think deeply about stuff. But when they act stuff out, it's often a window onto how they're thinking and what the problems are. So I do have to tell you, though, I I always think of this. We edited a book on play called Play uh, Play Equals Learning. And one of the papers in there was by a woman who talked about how troubled mothers of little guys play. And they often introduce the violence into the play themselves if they've had a difficult time. So you don't want to see that. Wait, so what happens? So the the kids are playing and the moms introduce violence? And introduce violence. Yeah, because the play is often a reflection, even in adults, you know, of of what we're feeling and how we're thinking. And uh, the particular chapter in this book talked about how mothers who had had difficult upbringings introduced violence themselves into these play episodes. And I don't know if that helped their kids, but most of us who've not had those kinds of traumatic childhoods do not introduce those themes in our play with our kids. And if we watch what our kids do, we can often get an idea about what it is they're thinking about. And if something is troubling them, that's what play therapy people do it makes sense so, you, it's yeah. not like a, a five-year-old yeah. sitting on a couch in a therapist's office you know crying <laughs> the fact they, they do it through play they express themselves that yes. way there are one of the other things yeah. in the um paper talked about um play and academic achievement and this one is why i mentioned school earlier there's a ton of evidence in, in things that i read online about yeah. um play and academic achievement like there's the schools in texas that have increased the amount of recess they gave the kids and saw test scores soar people are always talking about like finland and the test scores how the kids are in school four hours a day in finland and so on can you provide any insight based on your research on how that helps academic achievement because it doesn't seem it seems counterintuitive for a lot of parents i think I know, I know. And what seems like it makes sense to us is if you want kids to know something and you think they don't know much, just tell them. Just tell them, okay? So we call that direct instruction, and it often doesn't stick. What mm-hmm. we want is sticky learning. So the way we create sticky learning is by infusing the learning that children are engaging in in school with stuff that's meaningful to them. And play is a great example of that because play is where they're making choices and it can be a pedagogical tool that we use to help kids learn things that we want them to learn. So we talk about playful learning, which includes free play, and that's the kind of stuff that we did on Supervised. 
and guided play, which is where uh, teachers and parents may set up environments for kids and encourage them to explore. And when they talk with them about what they're doing, they teach them stuff. You know how you interact with your own kids. Your kids show interest in something, and you say, oh, well, that's a snake. It may look like a lizard, but it's really called a snake. And do you know how snakes make babies? They carry them around inside themselves, you know, like mommies do. The kind of stuff that you talk with kids about teaches them so much, but it happens so organically and so uh, in such a friendly, non-didactic way when you're interacting with your kid during play and following their interests. And that's the way school should be for kids, right? We should be able to help kids link up their play to what they're learning. It doesn't mean that they're not learning if they're playing, because if you're setting up the environment for them to use materials, they're going to learn. That makes perfect sense. Um, when when we think about kids of different ages, you know, certainly with the three to five year olds, you know, we did a whole lot of dress up and, and kitchen and all that. Yeah. What yeah. What do you suggest for so like that age group versus six to ten versus eleven to fourteen? Should should our twelve year olds still be playing? What what do you prescribe, if you could prescribe, um, for the different age groups? So all people should play. And we call it by different names when we grow up, although we still talk about playing cards, right? There's some people who play bridge or, or rummy or whatever. Um, but it's always something that we do voluntarily and something that gives us pleasure and something where others don't tell us what to do. So developing that kind of agency is also really important for success in school. You want kids to want to learn. So we know from research, there's somebody named Marjorie Taylor at Oregon, who shows us that even at 11 and 12, kids have imaginary playmates. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. But they don't tell anybody. <laughs> and. And kids who have imaginary friends for a long time turn out to be somewhat brighter than kids who don't because they're using their imaginations. So you can use your imagination at all ages, and you can play with peers, and you can play solitarily at all ages. And it doesn't mean that parents shouldn't be a part of it. Some parents are conflicted. They're not sure whether they should be involved in their children's play or not. Absolutely. That's when kids learn tons from you. And again, in the easiest, most organic, friendly way. But you have to let the kid determine what is to happen. You can't be the boss of the play. You have to let the kid do it. That makes sense. Yeah. And then at older ages, certainly board games... And uh, card games are amazing opportunities for kids to learn your values. Like cheating is not acceptable, and children have to learn that. They even have to learn what cheating is, right? Taking turns is really important, not being a sore loser. And you have the opportunity to very gently impart all this kind of information to kids when you play with them. Um, we give kids so much when we sit down and follow their lead and just 
talk about what they're interested in and build on what they say. It's great for kids. So this is a big argument in my house because I'm really competitive and I do not let my... Shocker! <laughs> no! I, I do not let my kids win. And my husband for years have, has let them win because he wants to build them up. Are we supposed to let them win? So I think it's a great thing that in your house you have one who's competitive and one who isn't. <laughs> and it balances out. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's okay to let kids know that they have to develop skills in certain areas and not give them an unrealistic notion of what they're capable of. On the other hand, it's such a thrill for kids to be adults because think about how kids are typically uh, fairly powerless in the household exactly. because the parents make the rules. And then if your kid can best you, it's very exciting. So I think it's great that you have one of each <laughs> in your family. I know I know who's going to be taking care of us when we're older, and it's, it's my kids are going to take care of my husband, but not me. <laughs> no, because they'll no. take care of you, too. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, Doctor, in your book, you uh, in Becoming Brilliant, I was re- reading yeah. through it yesterday, um, you highlight six key skills that children need right. to develop in order to be successful in the 21st century. And these six six skills I've read a lot about lately. And oh, they, good. They, I, or it seems like it's a common theme in articles that I've read. Collaboration, communication, content, critical thinking, creative innovation, and confidence. How can these skills be built through play? Oh, my goodness. They develop in the crucible of play. And, again, these are the kinds of skills that not just kids, but we need to succeed and that we continue to work on. So, for example, uh, collaboration is exactly what happens when your child works with you or when your child works with a peer or a sibling to create a a scenario that they're going to act out together or to build a house when they're using blocks. And think about what collaboration involves. It involves learning to take the perspective of the other person. That's a big deal. You just can't have your way the whole time, right? Exactly. You have to learn to take into consideration what others are feeling and thinking. That is a crucial skill for the development of empathy, which we need in our world. And a lot of that comes through language, too, because we talk to each other about taking turns and about you go first and then I'll go first, right? You trade off. Um, So collaboration is, is absolutely acted out during play, as is communication when kids talk together. Content emerges from play. Kids learn tons from each other, and when one kid uses a vocabulary item that the other doesn't, they may well pick it up in the course of the play. Um, Mathematical skills, I talked before about playing with blocks. That feeds into space. It feeds into math. Um, Playing with blocks and and playing make-believe with things is a way of distancing yourself, which is exactly what you're going to need when you learn to read, right? Because the text isn't in front of, the, the, the events in the text aren't in front of you, right? So you have to use your imagination 
to appreciate what those words on the page are saying. And the way you do that is by engaging in make-believe activities that pull you away from the here and now. Creative innovation is exactly what you see in play, because nobody tells the kid, do this, do that, and they have to make it up on their own. Make up, yep. Think about all the problems that we face in our world. We need people who can create new solutions to the issues that we face, and we need people who have grit or the confidence to persevere. Because if you give up after the first time, you'll never be that inventor or entrepreneur or or anything that requires perseverance and involves failure, which lots of things do. Exactly. We did a whole podcast on the gift of failure. (laughs) That was a good one. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. I'm so glad to hear that because there are some parents out there who are so concerned about their children failing that they even do their homework for them. (sighs) And that gives a terrible message to the child. So nobody should be doing homework for their children. You can encourage them, you can support them, but you really have to let them do it on their own. What do you think about um, all-day kindergarten? This has come up um, on our Facebook page and in our our peer groups. People are starting to say no. What are your thoughts on all-day kindergarten? Well, look, if they're starting to say no, it probably means that they don't have to hold a full-time job and that they are home uh, perhaps in the afternoons, okay? So if a parent wants to keep a kid home in the afternoon and uh, take the kid around on errands and play with the child, et cetera, et cetera, sure, why not? But the vast majority of our population needs to earners. And if you need two earners, you want your kid to be in a really good environment. And kindergarten can be that, as can all day daycare. And I think that there is something to be said about keeping the child in the same environment where the expectations are the same across the day, if it's a good environment. It's great for the kid. Kids love interacting with peers and they often love the kinds of things that kindergartners do. So when you're a full-time worker and a mom or a dad, you know, you need that kind of support. If you can afford to stay home or put your kid into a group with a, a nanny in your house and have some other kid come over, fine. But the vast majority of people in our society have to work. And we have to provide, as a society, quality spaces for our children to be in, where they can play and where they can learn and get ready for school. So people, I think people can wrap their heads around play is important. I mean, I don't think anyone that would say, no, that's stupid, that's a terrible idea, that kids shouldn't right. play. But why do you right. think it's so hard to put it into practice? Like, why, it, in your paper, when you, um, in the journal, when you wrote that, hey, we need to write scripts for play, like, obviously that right. means that you're seeing a need to remind parents that, hey... You got to let your kids play. You got to get encourage play in in districts in school districts. I feel like everything's about math, reading, writing and not right. about gym or art or recess or any of those other things to to give kids the unstructured time or to, to right. work right. a different part right. of their brain. Why is it so hard? 
Right. So, you know, some of it goes to parent fears, and I can certainly relate to this having had two children of my own. Everybody wants their children to exceed them. Mm-hmm. And somehow the marketplace has convinced parents that the way to do that is to fill them full of academic facts even before they get to school. If that were not the case, we wouldn't have preschool tutoring <laughs> where the pencils are bigger than the kids, right? Because, right? because parents are worried about their children being behind if they go to school and they don't know how to do their addition. So somehow the marketplace has helped to convince parents that knowing facts is really important for kids to get to school. It's probably just the opposite, that children learn so much through play and play with their peers that they don't really need the preschool tutoring. But parents are well-meaning, and many parents want to pay for preschool tutoring for their children. And I think it's going about it. ironically in just the wrong way you want your kid to be in stimulating environments like the supermarket i'm not talking about signing your kid up for french at 18 months i'm talking about taking your child places and using every moment as a possibility for learning just by how you interact with your kid that's how kids learn so, so I think there are economic drivers here. And I also think the schools have interpreted what we used to call No Child Left Behind, which wasn't renewed, and now the Common Core, in a way that demands testing and bubble testing, where, you know, you're filling in the little bubble. Yep. That's not a great way for kids to learn, especially because the kind of problems that they're going to face require creativity and thinking outside the bubble. Yes, exactly. So too much of that. I, yeah, I agree. That goes on. You just yeah. pushed you just pushed Tracy's button right there. That's <laughs> I was, oh, I, was I was so glad. I was fist good. pumping in the air right there. <laughs> good. I'm so glad. Now, you know what I say when I speak around the world? I say every kid deserves a great education. Like the education Obama's kids had. They went to Sidwell Friends. And I guarantee you that those kids were not dominated by bubble tests, that they were doing a lot of experiential learning, a lot of project-based learning, a lot of integrated curricula where they were learning, say, for example, we talk about this in the book, about flight and using drawing and reading and mathematics and social studies all together based on learning about flight. That's the way things stick. Exactly. That's how kids learn best. When it's fun and engaging, not just sitting in rows of desks and having memorizing vocabulary words and stuff that that it's different now. School is different than how it was back when I was in school. And and it's a good thing, the, I think. The irony is, Tracy, that we know so much more now about what makes learning possible for kids. And yet, unless you're well off and can go to a great private school like the Obama kids did, 
you're unlikely, although it's not impossible, to encounter really wonderful education in public schools. But I don't want to make that too blanket because there are wonderful schools and there are wonderful teachers in these schools, some of whom really resent the emphasis on memorization. Thank you so much, Dr. Golenkoff. I love your study. I love the things that you write in, Becoming Brilliant. It all makes sense. It all makes sense. It's just putting it into practice sometimes in the house and in schools and trying to make change is is often difficult. Thanks. If I could just say one teeny thing. When parents put this stuff into practice, it reduces their stress level. Oh, so we're helping ourselves. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's an added bonus. It is. (laughs) Exactly right. Yep, yep, yep. Well, thank you, Roberta. You were fantastic. We love your accent. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, ladies. Have a happy, healthy New Year. Thank you. Cheers. So, apparently, I think we need to think twice about the course we're heading and instead bring play back. And I'm going to keep, you got to hold me to it, Anne. Like, it's the beginning of the year. So. All right, but, let's, let's pinky swear. Okay, pinky, pinky swear, swear right here. Yeah. I'm going to sanitize my hands now. <laughs> I see the hand sanitizer I right here. I do have it your, out yes, right here. Yes. yes. Um, by the way, for my birthday, just recently, my kids got me six bottles of hand sanitizer. No. Yes. That was your gift? Yes. Oh, your uh, kids are so funny. Um, they're being playful with you. See? See? Hey, there we go. Playful. Yes. They also yes. got me a bunch of face masks. <laughs> I love you kids. Oh, so, well, that's good. There's play and joking and stuff going. And they're problem solving because it is flu and... <laughs> Look at that. And I do have a lot they're of using wrinkles. Their, they're critical, critically thinking right there. Yeah. Uh, it's just a shame that we have to have pediatricians write a script for play. But, you know, hopefully this podcast makes people take take a moment and go, hmm. Maybe we just do a game night once a week as a start. Yeah. Just, just once a week. And yes. then maybe we let them win. I can. I would love to play restaurant with them now because I bet their menus and everything would be totally elaborate. And well, they, they know how to cook. <laughs> we have a bar. We could. I'll sit at the counter and we can have like a short order cook, and they yes. can make my yeah. So mm-hmm. idea. Well, we'd love to hear about how you encourage play in your house, like maybe making your kids make you breakfast or dinner. <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear from you, so check out our Facebook page. Uh, you can give us a call at three three one seven zero four zero zero four six. Or email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy.